Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Well, hello there. Thank you for clicking on Minnesota number 21 of Disability After Dark. And if you're like, what is this? If you just started listening, you don't know what a Minnesota is. A Minnesota is where you write in your feelings around disability, sexuality, or just disability in general. And I read it back to you in hilarious fashion and speculate wildly and maybe give you some advice and give you ideas about whatever it is you wrote in about. So... We didn't have one last week because I didn't get any any Minnesota emails in the box. So what you're going to do is if you're listening to the Minnesota right now, I know some of you have expressed that you have Minnesota ideas or things you want to write about, but you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Send in your emails about anything related to disability. They can be as short or as long as you like, although I love the long ones. There's a sexual euphemism in there for sure. I love the long Minnesotes and girthy dick as well just in case we're all wondering. But if you want to send me a long... If you want to send me something long in an email, you can send me an email about your feelings around disability. Um, So that was an awesome, fun, you know, euphemism. And now I have no way of segueing, but you can send in your Minnesotes to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And let's get to today's Minnesota. This person emailed me and they requested to remain anonymous, so they sent me a nice, long, thick email, which I really appreciate, so here it is. They say, hi, I want to start off by saying I'm an autistic, bisexual, non-binary person who was assigned female at birth. My pronouns are they, them, and thank you so much for the pronoun check-in, because sometimes when I get these emails, I don't know entirely what your pronouns are and sometimes I fuck it up and have to re-record a bunch so thank you very much for um for telling me right off the bat what your pronouns are I appreciate that my pronouns are he him and his they say growing up I never really thought that dating or sex was much of an option for me me too though although I was really sexual when I was a kid I also never thought that sex was something I would experience or at least sex in a in an ableist way is never something I'd experience, and that that held true. Um, they say probably because I never really heard about or seen an autistic or seen autistic people dating. It's pretty much non-existent in the media. This is true, and some of the media representations we have about autism right now are super damaging. Um, there was that show on Netflix. The mic just made a farty sound. There was that show on Netflix, and I can't remember what it's called, but it it featured the experiences of a autistic person, um, and it was just really problematic because they didn't consider hiring an autistic person. So yes, you're right. We don't see, we don't often see people with autism dating in the media, and when we do, it can be damaging. Um, they say one thing that's been pretty apparent to me is the lack of conversation around sex and disabled people, especially in queer and or trans disabled people. This is true. 
I've featured a few people who are queer, disabled, and non-binary, and one queer and trans person, Dominic Evans, on the show for sure. If you are a queer and trans person and you want to chat with me, I'd love to have you on the show. Um, they say, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome in 2001 when I was 14. I used to say I have Asperger's syndrome, but now I just refer to myself as autistic. I grew up in a tiny town in northern Ontario, went to school in a slightly bigger small town, and five years ago moved to a small town in northern, in northern Ontario. I, I like this part of the email because I love small towns. I live in Toronto proper now, but I do really... I'm from a small town myself outside of Toronto, and I love small towns for sure. Small towns are my jam. They have this, like, quaintness and this, like, sweetness to them of a, of a, of a like, safer... of a safeness that, that, like, Toronto and bigger cities doesn't necessarily have. At least that's how I feel about it. I love small towns. I'm all about it. I, I'm definitely going to be that person that's, like, with their knitting needle at, like, 60, being like, hey, let's hang out and talk about our days at the small town coffee shop. That's my jam, for sure. So so I get you there. Um, they say it's definitely not Toronto, but there's a lot more available where I am now. I felt relieved when I was diagnosed because it felt like it explained a lot to me. I was never really connected to an autistic community, and growing up was still hard. I was bullied as a kid for being perceived as weird, but I was mostly ignored in high school. I was bullied as a kid, too, for being disabled and for, for also being seen as weird. I wasn't really... I was I was sort of ignored in high school. I beca as I said on, on the show before, I kind of became a loner myself, um, and I... I made it so people would ignore me because I wasn't, I didn't want to be with the popular crowd, which is weird now because I want to be with the popular queer crowd, which again is full of ableism, but I, I, under, I definitely understand your feelings about high school and I, I, I've been there myself too. I'm sure many of us with disabilities and, and intersecting identities have also been there. Um, they say, I also had a lot of trouble making and keeping friends. Me too, though. I'm 34, and I still have trouble making and keeping friends. And friendships are really valuable to me, but really hard for me to maintain because I feel like I'm always in the way as a disabled person. They say, I struggle a lot with my sexuality, and I eventually came out to myself and then some family members two years ago as bisexual. Congratulations for coming out. That can be super, super difficult, especially within the bi community, which is not given enough enough. Um, enough discussion and enough space so I appreciate that they say I started thinking about my gender identity in a real way when I was 13 I didn't feel like a girl but I didn't feel like I was a boy either for a long time I thought that male and female were the only two genders at the time I was considered myself I considered myself a quote girl by default it wasn't until 2012 that I discovered the term genderqueer, and two years later, non-binary. Occasionally, questioning thoughts about my gender would pop up, but unlike sexuality, gender seemed immensely more terrifying, so I tried my best not to think about it. I really started questioning my gender two years ago. I had joined OkCupid and had been talking to a trans man and an AFAB non-binary person. I always wanted to talk to both of them. I always wanted to ask both of them, quote, how did you know? How did you come out? But I worried about my questioning about gender. No, sorry. I w the, the font is really small. So they say, 
they say, I had always wanted to ask both of them, how did you know? How did you come out? But I worried about overstepping my, my bounds. It wasn't until I went to the to the queer to a queer open mic later in 2016 that I heard of my friend that I heard a friend of mine talking about being non-binary that brought all of my questioning about gender to the forefront. I started watching videos by non-binary YouTubers talking about gender. I learned about the difference between sexuality, gender expression, and gender identity. After a few months of trying to find a specific label for myself, I eventually came out to myself as non-binary. I feel it's a good term because I'm not a man or a woman. I have tried specific non-binary labels for myself like agender, gender fluid, bigender, and transmasculine. Lately, I feel like the label demi-boy demi boy fits, but that could change. I've come out to a few people as non-binary. The reactions have varied. I recently told my mom, we've had a few conversations about me being non-binary, that I use they-them pronouns instead of she-her. My family has always been very supportive of me as an autistic person, and they were supportive when I came out as bisexual. My understanding of my sexuality has changed a bit since I realized I was non-binary. I grew up thinking that the definition of, of bisexuality meant a cisgender person who was attracted to, cis, to cisgender men and women. I'm sure, caller, I'm sure, listener, that you're not the only one who's thought that, and I'm, many of us are taught that bisexuals have to be attracted to cisgender people, so you're not the only one, I'm sure. One kind of funny thing that has also happened to, to happened is that my attraction to straight cis men has dwindled significantly. In November of last year, I joined a trans support group in my city. At the group, I met a trans woman named Teresa, asterisk, not her real name. Teresa and I became close friends, and a month later, we started dating. She knows I'm autistic, bisexual, and non-binary. Neither of us has had has neither of us had really any experience with dating before. In high school, I briefly dated a friend of mine. A friend of my... Hang on. In high school, I briefly dated a friend of mine, and earlier last year, I dated a cisgender bisexual woman, and neither of us had has, has had any experience with sex. Teresa and I have been together for seven months now. It's been a learning experience. Congratulations, first of all. That's amazing that you that you are together. And you're, I think it's re- what, what's really powerful about this is that you're learning together what you what you like. And I, I I want to hear more writer inner. I don't I don't know what to call when when you I don't know what to call somebody when they write in anonymously. So I'm going to call you listener. I want to hear more of what you your experiences with sexuality are um i really appreciate that and i want to hear how your autism if you're comfortable sharing how your autism affects that so please write in another letter but they continue we communicate feelings about dysphoria i've stated that i've started keeping my shirt on during sex more often and i feel more comfortable doing that i also bought a packer that i sometimes use for sex i don't have a strong desire to wear to wear it outside of my house We've discovered that both of us are a bit kinky. For example, I like to be a bit dominant sexually, and sometimes she likes to be submissive sexually. That's awesome, and I, I love, I love how I want to also hear 
I'm curious now, listener, how uh, how your autism plays into and intersects with your kink. So please write more. I honestly never thought that could be an option for me when I was young. Earlier this year, I found a, I found the hashtag actually autistic hashtag on Twitter. This led me to discover a lot of cool queer and trans queer and or trans autistic people like Corey Alexander, they them, an erotic writer who is autistic, queer, non-binary, and kinky. Just finding out someone like someone like them exists makes me happy. In queer trans spaces in my city, I'm the only autistic person that I know of. I think it's really cool that Disability After Dark podcast exists, and I hope that there can be more spaces in the future, whether online or in real life, where queer people can feel comfortable and or accepted. Wow, thank you so much for writing, and thank you for the, the vote of confidence there. I don't really have much to say to this, except thank you so much for writing, and I, I really... Like I said just a minute ago, I'm really curious to find out how your autism intersects with your sexuality and how, like, what that's like. And also, to go to your point about wearing a shirt during sex, I wear shirts during sex all the time because my nipples get cold. And sometimes wearing shirts feels nice to have a shirt and to feel warm when somebody's... I mean, I love it when a dude rubs his hairy chest up against my bare chest that gets me off so hard. But sometimes... I like wearing a shirt because it gets I get cold during sex, so so I get it. And I think if given your you know, if the autism and disability makes you feel comfortable to wear a shirt, you can do that. And I also appreciate that you're experiencing all this and I appreciate that that my podcast and others like mine and people who with disabilities and queerness can and you know, disability, autism and sexuality can come together to uh to help you and to, to be there for you as community. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Alex Haygard. I had them on the show about a year ago now. Actually, a year ago today upon this recording, they came on the show and talked about their autism. And on Friday, you'll hear somebody with autism from the UK, my friend Morgan, who is a uh, really awesome person from the UK who loves the show and and I had them on and we talk all about their autism too so you'll hear listener that there is a community for you and we are there and I'm glad that I can use my privilege and my platform to bring those voices out on a show like this and thank you so much for writing also listener you were saying that you were the only autistic person in your town I want to also let you know that I in a lot of queer spaces, I'm often the only wheelchair user in the space, and I think there is something really powerful about being the only one sometimes. Yeah, we could look at it as being lonely and being you being the only one is hard, but also I think there's a power in that, and there's something really... You can use that to create change if you wanted to, and to, to be... There's, there's a weird sense of honor of being the only one sometimes, and I would... I would... I would suggest that you look into that as a way to make yourself feel better when you're like, oh, fuck, I'm the only one that's got autism here. I'm the quote-unquote disabled one, I feel like, or the autistic one. I feel like you can use the fact that you're the only one to your advantage. Just wanted to, just wanted to offer that to you. All right, so that's the Minnesota. That's how you do it. You write me in an email, a big, long, thick, juicy email, 
and I read them back to you, and I make suggestions, speculate wildly. Sometimes they're hilarious, sometimes they're real and raw. Um, but basically what you're going to do now is you're going to flood the inbox and email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell me your stories, tell me your jokes, tell me your horrible moments in bed, or your awesome moments in bed as a disabled or chronically ill person, and I will turn them into the next Minnesota. So thank you so much for listening. Also, um, the go to the deliciouslydisabled.ca and spread the word about our um, sex toy venture. My sister Heather and I are working on this very first line of sex toys for physically disabled people. We are at 3,688 right now. So please spread the word so we can create a line of sex toys for disabled people. Um, all right, that's the Minnesota. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned Friday for a jam-packed show with a listener from the UK who's amazing, and I'm really excited to share that. So, bye, thanks. Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018